This podcast is a production of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church. Mount Calvary exists to proclaim the saving word of our Lord Jesus Christ in its truth and purity and to equip you, dear Christian friend, with the knowledge, skills, and abilities to live a fruitful Christian life, enjoying the peace, love, and forgiveness that Jesus has won for you. Today's class is a starting point Bible class focused on life's big questions. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to our first class of Life's Big Questions. So glad to be here. Please contain your applause, right? Uh, so everybody's got a, a, a book and um, an outline, things like that. We got the basics down. I think I've got everybody's information too. Um, so we're about ready to begin, but we have to ask for the Lord's blessing. So let's fold our hands, bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here tonight to hear and learn about how much you love us and all people. Lord, your word, the Bible, sometimes is a difficult book. Sometimes it's challenging for us. And yet, through your Holy Spirit, you open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things, especially the love you've displayed in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to answer our questions tonight by looking to your word. Help us to trust you. And where we can find answers, we'll go to your word, but but where we can't, help us to just trust you and know that you love us all the time. Uh, we ask for your blessing upon our study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so got a couple of things to get started here. Um, on the first page, if you open up the booklets, top of it has my information, my contact information. So cell phone, um, email, feel free to store that away in your phone. And anytime you need to reach out to me, uh, feel free to do that. I've got your information, so thank you for that. Um, I don't anticipate uh, any snowstorms or anything that would cancel class. But, of course, that's what happened last year, so i got to watch my mouth here because uh, God's always listening. Um, okay, um, there is a course outline there, too. I just want to go through with you quickly what, what the classes are that we're going to cover. And um, the first one is tonight, what happens when I die? That, that's the first big question in life that we want to talk about. Um, next one next week is going to be where did I come from? Then how do I fix this broken world? Uh, fourth is, what is the Bible all about? Um, number five, how do I get a fresh start in life? Number six, will God really forgive me, uh, forgive my sins? Uh, seven, when is the end of the world coming? Um, big question that a lot of people have. Number eight, what am I here to do? And nine, also, what am I here to do? Uh, number ten, is anybody listening? Eleven, where do I belong? And then twelve, how do I get ahead in life? So, some of the questions that we're going to answer. I turn the page. We we'll get into session one here. Introductions. Why don't you take a minute and just the people around you maybe turn around, say hi, just introduce yourself if you haven't already. I know some of you have, and maybe say your name and a little something about you. Um, and if you're wondering what you should say, you can share your favorite food. I. I love food, so if you if you share your favorite food, I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that while I just get a drink of water. So, okay, hopefully you had a chance to just say hi, introduce yourself a little bit. 
<laughs> yeah, did you everybody get a chance to share a little something? Um, okay, now, one thing that we're going to do a lot of in this class is ask questions. So, you're encouraged to ask your questions, and I think I handed these out to just about everybody. If you um, have these little slips of paper, they are an opportunity for you to anonymously write out a question or two. Um, so, okay, yeah, so feel free. As we go through, maybe you don't want to raise your hand, or maybe it's a question about something else, too, like something that happened during the week. And I've got extras here that um, I'm going to actually pull out here. This is one from last time. I don't know what it is here. So this is the kind of thing um, th- that people ask. What is the Bethel religion called? What do you know about their beliefs? So Bethel, that's interesting. I know that they were assemblies of God, um, and they've gone independent now. And now they maybe some of you even know more. You've been around Reading longer than I have. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, interesting. They have some interesting beliefs. All I can, all I know about them is what's from their website. So, um, about healing and the power of of God that that you can have the power to heal things like that. There's a lot involved with Bethel. I think they tend toward that. Yeah, if you if you're a believer, your life is going to go better. You know, we're actually going to talk about that in one of the lessons. Why that's that's not a, a biblical teaching. You know, it's um, it's actually a, a kind of a dangerous thing. Because what happens if your life goes bad? Does that mean God doesn't love you? you know? right. It's it's kind of a, a dangerous thing. So we'll talk about that. But yeah, yeah, that's called the prosperity gospel. It's kind of the term for that. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of this like whole healing thing, don't they have like a school of the supernatural or something? Like there's some Yeah, I think there's a natural ministry. Yeah. Where yeah. they yeah. invent you to do psychic cold reading. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's an interesting Yeah. Yeah. So another yeah, it's always good to see what are they doing, what are they teaching, and then how does it line up with the Bible, you know? And we're not here to you know, bash people or anything like that, but to ask honestly, what does God's word say? You know? And that, that's really what we're going to be about tonight. Um, but first, um, I want you to take a second and list some of the big concerns in a person's life. So just take a little second and write down a few things. I've got a list up here, but I want you to think, what are some of the big concerns in a person's life that they might have? Not necessarily ours, just... Yeah, not necessarily yours. I mean, maybe they could be. Maybe that's what you gravitate towards. But things that people worry about, things that they're concerned about, you know, around the world it could be. It could be anybody. So let's see how your list compares with what I've got up here. 
Personal safety, security, politics, the state of our country, environmental concerns, caring for the earth, relationships, uh, friendships or family relationships, financial stability, your career, your job, people get concerned about that, health and wellness, right? What do people often forget about? And it's, it's missing from my list here. Okay, your soul, right? It's so easy to get wrapped up. All of these issues are, they're good, they're valid, they're you know, important things. But a lot of times we forget about the spiritual concerns, our soul, our, our spiritual well-being, and what, well, really what's going to happen when I die. That, that's a question that we don't we we push off into the future, right? We don't want to think about that. That's that's, you know, 30 years from now. That's not anything right now. But this is a question that that God wants us to wrestle with is what happens when I die. And that's why we're going to search God's word. So let's open up our Bibles and let's read Luke chapter 16. So Luke is in the New Testament. Uh, If you've got one of the Bibles here from church, I'll have a page number in a second. 849, thank you. Page 850, I think you got a different... Yeah, here, why don't you grab this one. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yep. This is a little bit older one. Yeah, Luke 16. <laughs> okay, so we're going to read Luke 16, and the biggest question in life, this is, this is really life's biggest question, is what happens when I die? Right? What happens when I die? Because everybody's going to die. And what happens when I die? And Luke 16 is actually Jesus talking about two men and what they went through. So, 850, chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. 
Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So a lot to talk about here in Luke 16. But I've got three questions on your sheet that we're going to try and answer here. And the first one is, make two lists, one describing the rich man and one describing Lazarus. So let's do that. Let's make a list. We've got the rich man... And we've got Lazarus. And what do we know about each one? Let's tally it up here. So the rich man, what do we know about him? Okay, he's got wealth, right? Wealth. He lived in luxury. How often? Every day. Every day, right? Uh, Pretty well-to-do guy, right? Uh, now, if he's got this kind of luxury and wealth in their society, um, do you think he was well-respected? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, especially in, in Jewish culture. I mean, it's not where not like everybody had a Bentley or something like that. I mean, if you lived in luxury, you were probably a respected member of society. Well, he, he lived, it, says that, it, it says that Lazarus was laid at his Yeah, he's got his own gated community, right? He's got a big operation going on. Um, Probably uh, the home was the center of kind of industry. So if he's got a gate, he's probably got um, slaves and servants who are working for him, uh, making clothes, making food, things like that. Um, And again, this is Jewish society in the first century, probably 30 A.D., He's, he's going to be a religious guy. He's going to be a religious guy. He knows, he knows who Abraham is. You know, Abraham is the, the ancestor, the, the, the father of the Israelite people. And so he knows Father Abraham. He looks like, even, even Abraham is up in heaven and he recognizes, hey, I'm down here. Um, okay, so Lazarus, what do you know about Lazarus? Okay, poor, right? What does he do for a living? He's a beggar, right? He's sick. Sick? Yeah, he's sick. Seems to be unnoticed by the poor or by the rich man. Yeah, okay. Ignored, right? Probably uh, probably a social outcast, right? When it says the the dogs with his sores, that would be a, a measure of how lonely he was. Yeah, yep. Because yep. dogs are you. Exactly, yeah. The, <laughs> In their society. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're unclean animals. You know, they had a big, they had this big thing with clean animals, that certain things you could eat, certain things you couldn't eat. If you touched them, you were religiously unclean, you know, and dogs were in that camp. So he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a, a religious outcast, too. He couldn't have gone to church. Yeah, religiously shunned. And why is that? Because of the, the dogs and the, 
like the licking, you, you'd become unclean, so then you couldn't go to church. And then they had these rituals where you'd have to go through kind of a purification period. So he basically couldn't do that because he didn't have the means or ability to do any of that. So religiously shunned by the people of that day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep, not and and that's so okay. So, if you know just this list, just this list, which one do you want to be? <laughs> well, the rich man, right? Right? Except where does the rich man end up? That's the question that we're going to answer. So, he ends up in hell and Lazarus ends up in Heaven, right? Now who do you want to be? Right? T- changes everything, right? Changes everything. Now the, the question here is why? And that's what we're going to let that hang out there while we go through to the second question. So that's number two. Where did each man end up after he died? Right? Rich man in hell, Hades in torment. Uh, Hades is the Greek word for hell. Uh, and Lazarus is at Abraham's side. And that's, Abraham's side is another word for heaven. Abraham, Abraham is called the father of all believers in the Bible. So if you're going to be at Abraham's side, that means that you too are a believer in the true God, that you trust the true God. So that's going to become important here. Now, um, the rich man is suffering. He's in hell. He asks for Abraham to send Lazarus to just just give me some relief, right? Just a little dip of water. That's all I want, just a little dip on the tongue. But notice, who is the rich man focused on? Okay, it's focused on me first. It's, it's me, my tongue. I don't, I'm suffering. I'm in pain. Can he help me? Can he, you know, can he help me? And Abraham says, look, you had, you had your good things, right? You lived the good life. And in your good life, you ignored the needs of other people and you ignored your spiritual well-being and now you're paying for it. Lazarus didn't have that distraction. You want to say that? You know, it's, it's, he wasn't, he wasn't preoccupied with it. But God was still with him. Even when he was suffering, the Lord was with him. And so Lazarus, um, the rich man wants Lazarus to come, and he won't come. And then he says, okay, go save my brothers. right? Go save my five brothers. And if somebody rises from the dead, they'll listen. right? And what's the last thing that Abraham said? Who should they listen to? Moses and the prophets. And that's shorthand for the Bible. So if they won't listen to the Bible, longhand, yeah, longhand for the Bible. Uh, that's a long way of saying they should listen to the Bible. And if they won't listen to the Bible, they won't listen even if somebody rises from the dead. Even if a ghost comes to them in the middle of the night. right? They're not going to buy it. Considering the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and people still don't listen. Yeah, that's kind of the irony of all this, yeah, which we're going to talk about is is that uh, people still have trouble listening. But this is, this is the chief concern, is what happens when I die? Where do I go? And why do I go there? Right? Where do I go and why do I go there? Right? So as, as we get to the end of the lesson, I want everybody to have confidence in the answer to that question. Where am I going and why am I going there?
Okay, um, now the, the problem that this rich man had, spoiler alert, was a first commandment problem. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods. And Martin Luther wrote this nice little summary that we use in our school and in our church. What does this mean? Right? Luther was good at that, asking that question. What does this mean? And it means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the rich man clearly trusted in things other than God. What did the rich man trust in for a good life? His wealth, right? Uh, a, everybody has a God. Even people who say, oh, I am an atheist. I don't have a God. Everybody has a God. It's what you look to for good things. It's what you hope for good things. If you're hoping for good from your bank account, guess what became, becomes your God? Your bank account. Now, God Almighty can use financial blessings to you know, keep us safe or, or help us pay medical bills or whatever, but it's not the money that's going to keep you safe. Don't let that be your God. Don't let your family be your God. right? If you look for only good things from your family members, you're going to be disappointed because they're sinners, they're imperfect, they're flawed. You know, God is the only one who perfectly loves us and is always with us. So that first commandment is going to be key as we go through here tonight. Okay, let's go to the next page then. Alrighty, what... And, and the big question here, the first one is, what does God demand from people in order to get to heaven? And I'm, I've got Bible passages up here uh, on the sheet. So Matthew 5.48, we're going to have it up here. You don't have to look it up in your Bibles. Um, it should be all up here on the screen. Well, um, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what does God demand from us? Perfection. Okay, perfection. Right? Be perfect. Be holy. That's what God demands. That's the standard that God sets. He's God. He gets to set the standard. It's his heaven. He sets it. Okay, Hebrews 12, verse 14. This is the next passage. Uh, the writer says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Are you getting the picture here? What is, how does God require us to be, even on the inside? Inside and out. Again, be holy. Be without. It means without sin. To live at peace with all people. This is what God demands from you and me. Was there like a curve there? Did anybody notice a curve? Right? Does God grade on a curve? Huh? Try your best. Try your best, right? Was there a, give it the old college try? No, he says be perfect. Don't have any sin, not any sin in thought, word, or deed. This is what God demands from us, from Christians, from everybody. Now, kind of a couple of key terms that I've already thrown out there. The first is holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart, uh, to be different in a class all by itself. In the Bible, you're never kind of sort of holy. You're either holy or you're not. It's either set apart or it's not. Um, it often has the idea of perfection with it, like uh, something is holy to the Lord, that it's, it's set apart and it's perfect. Um, sometimes... Um, 
it, it has this, the animals will be holy. You know, that's why it, it, the, the idea of perfection sometimes limps if you're talking about like an animal, but that means it's dedicated to the Lord. Um, then a word that is not often used nowadays, sin. Sin, it means to miss the mark. So it has this idea of throwing darts, right? And if you don't hit the bullseye every time, you have sinned. Um, another way of looking at it is to failing to measure up. You know, that's sin. We don't measure up to God's standard. We don't, we don't do what he says. Or we cross the line. That we're going, God says, here's the line. And we say, no, I kind of, we like to play with the line, right? We like to try and erase the line and then kind of make our own line in the sand, right? But this is what God says. There should be holiness, we should be different, and there should be no sin. So God demands that we have perfection, right? This is our little religious equation here, right? our little religious equation, and we must not have sins, and then you'll have eternal life. So a young man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I do to get into heaven? And Jesus said, well, what do you, say, what do you see in the Bible? How do you read it? And he said, well, you've got to love God perfectly, and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor perfectly. And Jesus said, you're right. Do that and you'll live. Do that and you'll live. What's the problem, though? You can't do it perfectly. You can't do it perfectly, right? Right? And this this is what God sees. I mean, we see we read the passage that says, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect," and we almost instantly want to say, "But," <laughs> right? But no, God says, "Be perfect," and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He's serious. Uh, God, you know, God isn't isn't running a, a, a cheap operation here, right? You go to the movies. Anybody been to the movies lately? Right? How much does a movie cost? Too much. Too much, right? Like, like I think it's like ten fifty. We went to a movie with the girls, and we got five kids. So, <laughs> uh, but so you you it's like if you go up to the movie and you say, "Well, I got eight dollars," they're gonna let you in. But I really have eight dollars, and I really want to see the movie. Right? Will you get in? No, of course not. And yet this is what we try to do with God. Should I say, well, I tried really hard, God. I'm a really good person, God. I did my best, God. And he says, no, be perfect. Okay. What does God see? Um, Psalm 14, 2 to 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what does God see instead of perfection? Corruption. Corruption. Yeah, from who? Everybody, right? No one who does good. This is what God sees when he looks at our world. No one who does good. This is what the Bible tells us. And that's why we got to listen to Moses and the prophets. Because spiritually speaking, on a deep spiritual level, there's no one who does good. Not even one. Uh, Revelation 21. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Everybody who tells a lie. 
Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the end of time. This is a prediction. What's he talking about? What's the destiny of all who stand imperfect before God? Hell. Hell. Yeah, he's talking about hell, right? That's the the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Um, The Bible talks in these graphic terms. Um, The Bible is not um, G-rated, right? The Bible is rated R in a lot of places, right? And anybody who says it's the good book... You know, it's good because it's God's word, but I don't know if they've read too much of it because there's a lot of rough parts in there and serious stuff. Uh, But that's the destiny of all who turn away from God. So what does God see? He says, first of all, we lack holiness. We don't have what he demands. And then we do have a whole lot of sin. And so then what does that earn us? What do we deserve? Death. Hell, yeah. And not just um, not just death in the graveyard, which is also a reality because of our sinfulness, but death in hell. That's what we deserve. That's our destiny left to ourselves. This is what God says. Now, a quick worship connection. I do these throughout the class so that we can kind of tie in with what we do in church. So we have, at the beginning of our service, we have confession and absolution. And what do we all say? We say, Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I've done sin. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. And it goes on, I have done what is evil, failed to do what is good. For this, I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. That I deserve this. This is not like an oopsie-daisy. This is, I deserve punishment now and in eternity. And it's not just something I do every once in a while, you know, that I've disobeyed you. Well, I had that one slip up, right? I had that one slip up at work last week. No, I'm by nature sinful. That I've got a, I've got a problem that, that actually dwells within me, that, that is in my, nature as a human being and that's that's the problem that's kind of that's what god sees that's the root cause of our evil our sinfulness and so we recognize that as people so we try and come up with some solutions that's the next page try and come up with solutions that that people offer we offer these um even as christians we struggle with these so, okay, so if you do something bad as a person, you do something bad, sometimes you tell yourself, well, tomorrow is a new day, right? Tomorrow is a new day. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do better tomorrow. But what's the problem with that? One sin means you're not perfect. Okay, yeah, one... One sin is enough. And how high does the ladder go? Right? Can I climb up the ladder? Right? Um, the, the sin kind of clings to us like a dead weight. You know? And we might try, but guess what? We're going to get pulled back down. Um, so these are the solutions that we try to offer. Another one is kind of the balancing act. Right? Now, this has never happened with my wife and I. My wife Anna is here. But theoretically, a man will do something wrong in his marriage. 
So then he tries to make up for it by... What does he? <laughs> uh, flowers or, you know, chocolate or let's go out for dinner or something, right? So you try and balance it out, right? You ever do that? Where you, you do something wrong, you're like, I'll make it up to that person. I'll do something really nice to them, right? See, we recognize that something is wrong, that we have this problem, and we try and, we try and fix it. But... We can't forget, right? We can't, we can't erase, you know, if you, especially if you've hurt someone in a bad way. That doesn't just disappear because you bought flowers or, or took them on a trip or something. It, it doesn't, and even time, time sometimes helps, but sometimes as people, we, we just can't forget when, it's been, when the hurt has been so deep. Um, or another one that we play is the comparison game, Right? You know, compared to that person, I'm not, I'm not too bad. I mean, I, I'm sure God will let me into heaven because I didn't do this or that. I, I wasn't that bad in my life. Right? But what does God say? He says, compare yourself to me. That's what God says. Don't compare yourself to them. They're, they're imperfect. Compare yourself to God. He's holy without sin. Right? And all of these, all of these things, really, they don't take care of our sin problem. They're trying to address it. They're, they're recognizing that here, there's a, there's a problem here, there's an issue here, but they, they just can't take away that problem. So comments, thoughts on those? I saw a couple of people with hands up, but yeah, Jake. Well, one thing I thought of with the, uh, the weight in the middle there, we study uh, in our social studies class, ancient history, and when we go over that, we talk about the Egyptians and all of their religions, and I forget which god it is they have, I think it's Anubis, who's a, a dog with a crocodile head. When you die, uh, you get weighed on a scale just mm-hmm. like that, and if you are good, you cross the river or whatever, and then if you don't outweigh your bad deeds, like this monster destroys your soul. And it's interesting to see how it's no different. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they felt the same way. I got to balance out the bad I did with some good. You know, a little different idea with a crocodile monster. But, uh, <laughs> basically, you know, the uh, same thing. It's not any different. Yeah. Yep. Five thousand years later, it's not any different. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're still doing it today. We 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 might be we're way smarter. We don't have crocodile gods. You know, we've got we've got other kinds of gods that we worship. And well, he volunteered a lot, right? He was a good man. He volunteered a lot in the community. So that makes up for maybe being a bad husband or a bad friend, right? Well, he did all this good out there. Well, it doesn't take away the bad we do, right? Yeah, Noel. And so many churches teach good works, but you're, you're kind of left wondering, well, how many good works do I need to do? How good do I need to be? Am yeah. I good enough yet? Yeah. Yep, yep. And can you ever do enough? Can you ever be certain enough that you've done enough? And the reality is you can't. Because you're, there's always going to be that, that thing that pops up, that skeleton in your closet that you've tried to bury, but it's going to, it crawls out. You know, it's not going to let you rest. Um, and that's where all of these fall flat. Because they don't deal with, with sin as a reality. Sin in all of its ugliness. 
and, and the spiritual side of it. You know, you can deal with stuff outwardly and say that they're nice people. We can thank God that someone is a nice person or that they're a good friend, but, but that doesn't change the, the inner realities sometimes. Yeah. So my thought is that this is, like, I always think of goals. I was in banking, and so I have lots of goals. And you need to have a goal that's reachable. Mm-hmm. This isn't reachable, so it's kind of discouraging. Mm-hmm. From our perspective, it is. When we, when we try to save ourselves, it is. But that's why we go to God's solution. And that's what that, this is the really good news. So what we've been talking about is the law. What God says in his word. The two main teachings of the Bible. We're going to come back to this again and again. The two main teachings that we talk about as Lutheran, Lutheran Christians, are law and gospel. So we're going to talk, we've been talking about the law. And that is demands and, and, and warnings and the do's and the don'ts and, and a lot of where God piles it on. Right? And that is God's word. And we have to let that sink in because so many people ignore that in our society. But let's look at God's solution. God, Only God can save us from this. If you, if you feel the weight, you recognize your sin, you see what you've done wrong, the only way is it's got to be a God thing because on our own we are lost. And so here's God's solution to our problem. It all centers in Jesus Christ. And so Romans 4, verse, Hebrews 4, verse 15, talks about Jesus. <laughs> it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus knows our weaknesses. He knows that we can't do this. He knows that we can't save ourselves. He's been in this world, born at Christmas time, took on human flesh, entered this world, leaves heaven, by the way, which must have been pretty awesome up there in glory and perfection, and he comes down into the cesspool and lives in a st- is born into a stable, born into a manger. And so this passage is talking about him. What was he like? What was Jesus like? Well, on the one hand, he's just like us. Okay, he's just like us, right? And yet, but without sin. So he's a high, the Bible talks about him being a high priest. He's, he's doing the work. He's doing the work, and yet is without sin. So God demanded that we be without sin. We, we can't do it. Jesus does it. Jesus is without sin. Isaiah 53. This is one of God's Old Testament prophets. Isaiah said, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So why was Jesus pierced and crushed? For our sins. To take away our sins. To everything that we've done wrong goes on him. He's pierced for us. Isaiah 53, I mean, we could look at this whole chapter, and it's, it's all of this, we do bad, Jesus takes the punishment. We run away from God, Jesus goes and finds us. We sin, Jesus says, I'll take that on my shoulders. 
Right? That's the whole thing. Because of our sins, because of our iniquities, Jesus suffers. And the punishment that brings us peace with God, that makes us holy with God, is on Jesus. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus has taken our place. Now, when did this happen? Okay, on the cross, yeah. On a cross outside Jerusalem. It's about uh, 1900 and... It was about 30 AD, so... What is that? 1991. <laughs> 19, 1991 years ago, right? So, a re, give or take a couple years. Um, Jesus died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He died for everybody. And when it comes to what happens when I die, this is critical. Okay, turn the page now. Oh, the message is about Jesus saves us? Yes, that's gospel. Gospel means good news. Right? This is, so there are two main teachings in the Bible. Law, which is the demands, the curses. And then there's gospel, which is the good news. And both of them are God's word, but the good news gets the final say. The gospel gets the final say. What God says in Jesus gets the final say. Um, okay, next page. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Here's what Paul says in, in, to the Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus guilty of all of our sins so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This is talking about one of the most beautiful things, the the most beautiful thing in the Bible and in the history of the world is this right here. The only remedy that works, the only solution that's going to give us the certainty of heaven is called God's great exchange. And it's with Jesus and you and me. And it's an exchange. So all my sins go on to Jesus. And Jesus' holiness, his perfection, goes to you and me. That's what God promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That there is this total shift that Jesus takes upon himself all of our sins and everything we've done wrong, even though he didn't do anything wrong. Right? Jesus didn't do anything wrong ever. And his enemies even tried to find things that he had done wrong. They tried to build a case against him. And Jesus said to them, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Can you ever prove me wrong? And they couldn't do it. Even when he was on trial at the end of his life, they had to make up things and make up lies that he had said things or blasphemed God or bashed the temple. Um, They couldn't come up with it. So all of this gets transferred. So Jesus gives us holiness and all of our sins are removed. And now we receive life. Life. Not just when we die, which is true, the gift of eternal life, but life right now. This is what God promises us. Life right now. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. 
And he's not talking about just the eternal life. He's talking about right now to enjoy God's blessings, to see purpose in your life, to have certainty. Uh, not like, uh, well, I, I really hope I make it to the big you know, um, party in the sky, right? But to have the certainty of knowing that God loves me and has saved me from my sins. Um, so what's the result of all this? It's called justification. The Bible, it's a, it's a kind of a fancy word. You know, the Bible uses this justification. It means to be declared not guilty in God's courtroom. So the courtroom declaration that we are not guilty. God's courtroom declaration that we are not guilty. Do you know these two guys? You know OJ, the other guy? Yeah. Uh, Zimmerman? He shot Trayvon Martin in Florida a, few, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. Uh, both, what, what was the final verdict for both these guys? Okay, not guilty, right? Acquitted. Now, even though a lot of people think that they did it, and maybe civil courts, you know, chart, you know, held them accountable, things like that, they got to go free, right? And this is what happens in God's courtroom: is that you and I are guilty, but God lets us go free. Now, these guys were free, freed, um, and nobody paid the price for it. Nobody suffered. Nobody went to jail, right? But Jesus did suffer for us. Jesus took our spot. And we call that, our he's our substitute. Jesus takes our place as a substitute and takes all the punishment so that God is still a God of holiness. You know, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We need that, that gift of holiness from God. And God is a just judge. He doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't sweep things under the rug like, oh, we'll just forget about that one. No, God does punish sin, but he punished all of our sins in Jesus Christ. Hello, Louisa. Here, here. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. There you go. So God punished all of our sins in Jesus Christ. And this is called God's grace. His undeserved love for sinners. Thea, can you take her outside, maybe? Take Lulu outside? Oh, it's getting dark. Okay. Um, God's undeserved love for sinners. And this all centers in John 3.16. So why don't we read that passage together? You've got it printed on your sheets. And this is called the gospel in a nutshell. So it's one of the chief Bible passages. I, I'm going to ask you for next time. I don't test on this, obviously. But something you could do is try and commit that to memory. If you don't know it by heart. To just commit it to memory. It's good to have Bible passages in your memory so that like if you're never, if you're not by a Bible or you can't pull up something on your phone, you could still have some comfort in your heart and soul. So let's read John 3.16 together. It's up there. You also have it on your sheet here. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So all of this is ours by trusting in Jesus. 
that God says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God, Jesus did this for the whole world. He died for everybody. Everybody you know, everybody you will ever meet, Jesus died for all of them. But not everybody believes in Jesus. Not everybody trusts that he actually did this for them. A lot of people think, oh, that's stupid. You know, how does some guy die in 2,000 years ago in another country? How does that have anything to do with me? Right? The Bible is just an old book that has nothing to say to us today. Just, bah, that's what some people think. And so they will not enjoy the benefit of what Christ has done. It's like somebody comes up to you on the street and says, I just put a million dollars in your bank account. Do you believe him? They say, oh, that's <laughs> funny joke, buddy. Thanks a lot, right? Well, that's what God says to you and me. I just filled up your spiritual bank account. Your home in heaven is secure. Trust him. Trust him. Don't live in poverty. <laughs> Don't live selfishly and arrogantly and, and, and like an idiot. Live like God actually did die for you because he did. Right, that's what Jesus calls on us to do. This is how much God loved the whole world, that he sent his one and only son for us. And every week in church, we're reminded of that. It might, it might get old because we say it all the time, but it's not do this and live. It's not, that, you know, Jesus told that man, do this and you'll live. If you love God perfectly, if you love your neighbor perfectly, you do that, yeah, and you'll live. See, that's not, we can't do that. We can't do that perfectly. So God says, he says, believe this and live. Trust and you'll really live. Trust in Jesus and you'll really live. And that's what, we're going to talk through this, this course. You know, what makes a Christian? Is a Christian somebody who's really good, who gives a lot of money to church, who, um, who does certain things? No, a Christian is somebody who believes in Jesus as their Savior. That's what makes us Christians. That and that alone. And so Jesus says, believe this and live. So we have this kind of worship connection. We say this all the time in church. We hear it. During absolution, that's where the pastor forgives everybody and reminds them of what Christ has done for them. The pastor says, God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us. Right after we say, hey, I deserve punishment now and in eternity, we say God has forgiven us. He has been merciful to us, given his only son to be the atoning sacrifice. Atoning? You see a couple of words in there? At one, the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice that makes us at one with God by paying for our sins and giving us the holiness that we, we don't have on our own. And so the pastor assures everyone of their forgiveness in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is what we hear every week. But it's like, okay, let's get on to the next part of the service, right? And it's never old hat. It's always good news. It's never, the, the gospel is never old news. It's always good news. It's always good news. Because we live with the law. We know what we've done wrong. You know how you've kind of screwed up as a, a friend or a, a, an employee or a, a parent or, a, or a, friend, a neighbor. We know that. We know how we screwed up. What we don't hear so often is how we're forgiven and loved 
and God washes it away, and God isn't punishing you, and God isn't holding a grudge. God loves you. That, that's the good news. Um, okay, so are you ready? Are you ready? If you were to die tonight, and you are to stand before God in judgment, would he receive you into heaven? Take a minute and just answer that question. And then, number two, if God asks you why, why should I let you in? How would you answer? What will you tell him? So I said the two questions that we want, I want you to be able to answer tonight are what happens when I die? Where do I go, heaven or hell? And then why? And so I want you to be confident to say, yes, I will be with the Lord in heaven. And why? Because Jesus lived and died and he came back to life even. He rose from the dead for you. He did it all for you. He knew you and everything that was going to happen in your life and all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. And he says, I came to save you. And that's, that's the best news in the world. And that's what our church is built on. That's what our school is built on. That's what, that's what the Bible is all about, too. So this is kind of a key to everything that's going to come next as we talk about all of our questions that we have, is to knowing that the big one, the most important one, where am I going to spend eternity? Eternity is a really long time. I still remember when I was a little boy and I would think about hell and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified of hell. And, and I thought, boy, if I become a pastor, then I won't go to hell. <laughs> uh, you know, little kid, right? Um, but that's, that's how we think, too. We operate in the law. We think, this is what I got to do to make sure I don't go to hell, right? And yet it's all just... Trusting the good news. That's, that's what it's all about, is just trusting and letting that fill our lives, too. The gospel is what's going to permeate our lives, going to permeate our thoughts, taking every thought captive to Christ. That's the key. And that's what we're going to try and do as we go through this class, to let that good news just fill everything and affect the way we, we, we think about our relationships, the way we think about society, the way we think about um, everything, everything that we do as a church. Let that gospel fill it all up. Um, okay, so uh, there is homework. Um, so I invite you to, um, if you look on the next page, there's a box right there. So I got this little box, and it kind of outlines some of this. And on um, the last page, page 6, there are, there's a looking back section where I just invite you to look through the lesson, kind of review it, and then fill it in. You know, where do we find this passage that hell is a real place? You know, hell is not made up. Um, and, uh, and then there are agree or disagree questions um, that are, it's true-false, really. I should say true-false, not agree or disagree. I don't know why I put that. 
Um, then number two is memorizing portions of Scripture. You know, just memorize it and then you can have it with you. It's a good reminder. God so loved the world, and guess what? You're part of the world. <laughs> so God loves you. And that is, that is such a comfort because there are going to become times where you're going to, you're going to get deeper into the Bible and you're going to say, oh man, this, I'm totally, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> uh, but then, nope, God loved the world. God loved you. Right? So it's good to remember that. Um, John 3.16 and the first commandment. First commandment is just foundational. Who is, what does God want from us? He wants everything. He wants our heart, soul, mind, strength. Love him above all things. Okay, then the last thing is if you're interested in, in kind of getting into your Bible, I'd say just read. There are three chapters of the Bible, um, and you could bring questions for next time. I'd say read Luke 1, read Luke 2, and read Luke 3. You know, And it just, just try it. I mean, it sounds pretty simple, but try over the next week to read those chapters of the Bible and you'll be like, man, well, you know, where does the time go in a day, right? So kind of committing to that is a good thing. Okay, now I promised here at the end that we'd have time for your questions. So I'm going to walk around and you can just drop them in the ye old bucket here and then I'll mix them up and ask. And I've got some written in here. Yeah. And if there are other things on your mind, too, and you want to ask a question, too, that's fine. So, Okay, feel free to get some beverages, if you'd like. Okay, no matter what, this is a good question. No matter what the sin is, murder, etc., etc., uh, is it true that if a person believes Jesus died for his or her sin, God will forgive them? And then if she doesn't, he or she doesn't believe, then hell. Is that, is that true? So this is a good one. What about people like Adolf Hitler? Like really, I mean, we're talking horrible mur- mass murderers, right? If they believe in Jesus as their savior from sin, will they be in heaven? Yes. yes. That any sin if they if you trust in Jesus for forgiveness you'll be in heaven there's nothing that excludes us yep i i've got her. why don't you just take her take her in the other room it's okay she'll be okay <laughs> yeah Yes, any any sin. This is this is this is crucial. Now, that doesn't mean that like I can just, you know, like steal from my job every day and well, God forgives me, so I can just do whatever I want. Right? That's not what we're talking about. If you truly believe that Jesus is your savior, that does involve repenting of it, you know, turning away from it, not not wanting to do that sin again and again, not saying, well, it's no big deal. It's just a little sin. Right, it, it involves recognizing the sickness. Right, if you're going to go to the doctor, you got to be sick. Right, you got to recognize that. Well, something's not right. I'm not feeling good. Right, you got to recognize that there's a spiritual sickness that you and I have, and the only cure, the only solution, the only remedy is found in Jesus Christ. So, yeah, if and if you don't believe in Jesus, then then hell. If you and, and that's, that, that's a sad reality, too. If you think about people who never hear about Jesus, like, you know, they're in the middle of Africa, and 
They never hear the name of Jesus. You know, do they end up in hell? The Bible says that if they don't believe in Jesus, whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, I'm not the judge, so I don't, I don't have to make the tough calls. Um, but God is in charge of that, and that's just what the Bible says. So that actually, in my mind, that spurs me on as a Christian to support mission work, to do everything I can to make sure that those people in faraway places hear about Jesus. Um, that's why we encourage missionaries and mission trips, even within our church, to go and do some of that stuff so that you reach those people uh, because they need to hear about it. Good question. Okay, um, how do we understand the cowardly in Revelation 21, verse 8, uh, that end up in the fiery lake of burning sulfur? Oh, that's a good question. So that goes back to... That was a whale ways back here. Yeah, this one, the cowardly, right? Um, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral... Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So how do we understand that? I think um, without like studying the Greek word, I mean, I don't have the Greek of the New Testament. The New Testament was written in Greek. Um, without knowing that exactly, I, I, I'd hesitate, but I, it probably has to do with those who refuse to acknowledge Christ. Jesus did say that if you confess me, before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That's not a cause and effect, it's more a correlation. You know, you believe in me, so you, you um, trust me, you will receive eternal life, you're not afraid to confess it. But then, then there are those people those and who, who reject Jesus out of fear, right? I don't want to be a Christian because it's too hard. It's just too hard to be a Christian. Um, it's way easier to follow the crowd. Right? I would include them in kind of, in the, in the cowardly camp. Um, not, n- not, um, they, they cave into peer pressure, you know, that sort of thing. That, that kid, that's a dangerous thing. That's why Jesus says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't, don't cave to the world. Stand strong. Yeah, Noel. were consoled by the fact that they, they knew he had died as a Christian and had not caved in to the demands to renounce Christ. Yeah, yeah. That, boy, that's not even cowardly. Mm-hmm. Right, yep, yep, yep. And and it's, it, it's hard in our society sometimes to stand strong as a Christian because there are a lot of things pulling us in other directions. And it's not always the in-your-face you know, Islam, it's the, it's the, a few bad decisions here or there can really drag you down. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who are criticizing Christians too. It's really hard to stand firm mm-hmm. under fire. Yep, yep. Um, okay, here's another question. Why don't people believe in God? Why don't people believe in God? What do you think? Why don't people believe? They don't have the knowledge. Okay, there's a there's a lack of knowledge that that you know um, nobody's ever explained to them. This is the main message of the Bible. You know, um, yeah, that's that's 
That's a big one. I think there, it's almost as many people as are out there. You could have as many reasons, you know, um, that sometimes things happen in their life that then they're, they're convinced that, well, you know, a God, a loving God couldn't let this happen. You know, they get, they get dragged away. It's the devil and it's their own, you know, sinful weaknesses that kind of drag them away. But, um, that, that's, that's a good question. And we're going to talk about that more, too. We'll talk about why is the world so broken. You know, we'll look at some of the things that God talks about in the Bible. The brokenness that we see and, and the brokenness in people's lives. Why, why don't more people go towards God? Why don't they believe in Him? Um, this is free. This is not... God isn't saying, like, you know, do this 10-point plan, and, and if you really prove it to me, I might let you in. Right? This is just a free gift from God. And why wouldn't more people... Embrace that and accept that. Um, yeah, it's a sad thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, is it okay? This has to do with Adam and Eve. We're going to talk about Adam and Eve too. Real people. Spoiler alert. Um, is it possible that Adam and Eve uh, could communicate with the animals in creation? When they were first created. Ooh. Can I leave that one till next time? We're gonna, this is like a perfect cliffhanger for next time. Because we're going to study the Genesis account of creation and what God says in Genesis chapter 1. So I will hold on to that so I make sure and answer it for next time. But next week, we'll be back here and... Um, we'll start out by answering the questions that the, the kind of the true false questions and the looking back stuff. Yeah. Mary. How would you answer this if somebody asked you, well, why don't I just do whatever I want to do all the way up until my dying bed and then I will believe in Jesus then? Yeah. Um, why can't I go and have fun first and then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say you never know when your life is going to end. You know, you might be having fun and I'm going to go skydiving. And well, guess what? (laughs) You don't have a chance to, you know, you tragic accident. You know, none of us really know how much time we have. So that kind of plays games with God, you know, and somebody could, could, could try that. I'll, I'll grant them that. Um, they could try something like that, but I would wonder if they really believe it. You know, even if on their deathbed they said, okay, okay, God, I really believe in you. Uh, I'm sorry for all the garbage I did in life. I'm really, really sorry. Ready for heaven. You know, I kind of doubt whether they actually believed it. Because what we're talking about here with believing in Jesus is transformative. It's, it's, it changes you and the way you look at the world and the way you think about the world and the way you think about other people and the way you think about yourself. And, and to really, to, to think that you can do whatever you want and then, that the last second changed that, um, it, it doesn't work that way. That's what I would say. It, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And, and people sometimes say, well, what about like deathbed confessions? I mean, one of the most powerful things in my life was when our daughter Vivian was being born, literally being born. My wife was on the third floor, and on the fourth floor of the hospital was a guy who had been at our church 20 years ago before I was ever a pastor there. And he was dying. And he called the church office and said, I need to talk to a pastor. And then the church office called me while I'm at the hospital because they knew I was there. <laughs> I'm always on call. This is great. And I left my wife. She's in labor. She's 
breathing. And I said, I said, you're good, honey, right? You're, this baby's not going to come. And I went up to the, I went up to the fourth floor and I talked to this guy and all his family around. And, and I said, I said, Jerry, you know, I'm here. What do you have to say? And he says, I'm so sorry. And, and, and we talked about his sin and the problems he had in his life and the way he ran away from God and the way he failed as a dad. And it was this great moment of just open confession with God and with his family. And then I got to tell him that Jesus forgives his sin and that because of Jesus, he'll be in heaven. And, and I said, do you believe this? And his last words, I kid you not, were, yes, I believe. And then he kind of passed out and, you know, he went into a coma and died the next day. But, you know, will I see Jerry in heaven? I think I will. I'm not the judge. You know, I can't say, you know, was he playing games? Was he saying, well, I'll do whatever I want. And then at the end, I'll call the pastor from, from my church and he'll come. I mean, maybe you could play games with, with pastors, but you can't play games with God. So, um, yeah. But that's, this is what, we often don't think about this life and death sort of stuff. We live in a world of like a massive abundance. I mean, even a hundred years ago, the average life expectancy was 47. That, that's the average age you would live to. And if you, the infant mortality rate was, was like 10 times what it is now. So if you had six kids, three of them would die before the age of eight. You know, this is how much our world has changed. And now instead of drawing us closer to God, it's all, it leads us to just kind of say, whatever, I'll live forever. Right? I'm invincible. I'm, 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 you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm going to live forever. Right? No, it's not that way. Not that way. And Jesus, didn't he, in, in a parable about the rich man who stored up the grain? Yeah, you fool. Your life will be demanded from you this very night. Yeah, yeah. Jesus makes decisions about life and death. We like to think we can plan it out, but we can't. Yeah, yeah. great question, though. Okay, come next week. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our Savior from sin, for taking the punishment that we deserved so that we know that we have peace with God forever and ever. Uh, Bless us as we let this good news permeate our lives, shape our thoughts, our attitudes, and every single action. Uh, We know that we are sinners. We know we struggle, Lord, but you are our strength and our life forever. Bless us as we travel home tonight and keep us safe in your mercy and love. In your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you guys. Have a good night.